0: few verses of scripture again, and uh, I know the last few Sundays have been <laughs> real slow as far as getting the scriptures, but we're chewing it as we can. Um, look at verse number seven. The Bible says, And when he had opened the fourth seal, it says that he uh, heard a voice of the fourth beast say, Come. And he says, Come and see in our scriptures. And look at verse 8. It says, and I look, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. We pray with me? Lord, we are uh, we're regular people. We're regular Joes, Lord, and we need you. We need a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit today. Uh, there's no understanding, there's no wisdom apart from you and uh, giving us the wisdom that we need in this book. And God, I pray that the urgency that is uh, stirring in my heart for days and days and days, Lord, and months now. God, I pray that the message today would be, would be preached with urgency, that God, that, they, that people could hear the hoof the hoofbeats, Lord, of these horses that are coming. Lord, that they could feel the breath as these horses are coming against this world soon. Lord, we know that Paul said that he was in those days where he said it was the last days. God, we know that we're in those same days now. God, be with us today. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray and ask it all. Amen. Amen. Listen, as you're being seated, we talked about the seven, we're not gonna go back, but seven sets of seven. We're gonna be talking about these uh, seven seals that are opening up. When that seventh one is opened up, it actually kind of opens up seven trumpets uh, that are in that one seven seal. Uh, It opens up seven trumpets. When that seventh trumpet is blown, it opens up seven vials or bowls of wrath that God's going to pour out on the earth. There's so many people that have different ideas about the end times. Uh, It's a teaching in the church today called eschatology. They have a lot of ideas about, all right, well, we're going to, the church are going to be here and we're going to be caught out before the tribulation. Some people believe that we'll go all the way up in all the way up into the portion of three and a half years into it, and then some people believe we'll go all the way to the end and we'll be raptured out. We've already shown you that according to the book of Revelation, we have the first chapter taught us about Jesus who was and is and is to come. We've talked about chapters 2 and 3 that told us about the church ages, which is what you're in right now. You're in the days of the church. Israel has not established that third temple yet, but I'm going to tell you something, they're ready. They're very ready, and you need to understand that they are ready. They have everything now. They're practicing on uh, sacrifices, red heifer. They just got through September the 29th of uh, sacrificing uh, on the other side. They actually, a Gentile sacrifice that was after the Noah covenant, and they, they did one, and the Hebrews couldn't do it, but the Gentile people could do it. I'm telling you, it, it's, getting, it's getting that time. And uh, looking at that, and if you look in chapter 4 in verse number 1, the Bible says that John was called up hither. He says that the first voice he heard says it was as the voice of a trumpet. And you go back to 1 Corinthians, the Bible says we shall be changed. He says we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment. of the twinkling of an eye, at the trump of God, talking about the last trump, it's not the last trump of wrath that's going to be blown against the world because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that we are not going to be delivered into that wrath. It says we've actually been delivered from wrath. He says, you're not children of the darkness, but you are children of the light. He says, you're not children of wrath, but you are children of the daytime, and that you now obtain salvation, not wrath. And so when you look at that, he says the first voice that he heard, which would be the voice of Jesus, sounded like a trumpet, and the trumpet said, come up here, and he came up, and the church is no more after Revelation chapter number four, all the way until the end of the book of Revelation, when everyone is culminated together. So we look and understand that You're not going to be going through this. A lot of people have been looking at me confused for the last four weeks now. They've been looking at me kind of upset. And I warned you and I told you we were going to get out of the throne room and we're going to talk about some things that are what we would say in the 80s is heavy. okay? It's heavy. It's stuff that really, it's not one of those types of messages where you go home going, yes, I can't wait for that white horse to come. You know, Whoa, I can't wait for that black horse to come. I mean, last Sunday, people left here. We, the last thing we talked about was the black plague, the black death. You know what I mean? You don't sit around a cracker rail just enjoying the message. When you hear about those things and the rats that carried the bubonic plague and people dying by the droves, by the droves and by hundreds, you don't think about that. But it's a warning to tell you that the Lord is coming. And so now we've moved into where these seals are being opened. They're being opened by the hand of who? Do you remember? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It says that he was the only one in chapter 5 of Revelation worthy to open and to loose the seals. And Jesus opens the first seal of judgment. And the Bible says that, that one of the four living creatures that were standing around the throne, do you remember them? One had the face of a lion, one had the face of a calf, an ox, one had the face of an eagle, one had the face of a man, all that they're standing there these angelic beings these strong beings of God that are actually evidently to me God's uh, commanding generals of the angels and they're standing there at the throne and they're reflecting the image of what they see in God and in Christ they see that he is what he is line of the tribe of Judah that he is royal and that he is worthy to be praised they see that he is the ox or the servant the one that actually allows every burden to be put on him casting all your care upon him why because he cares for you Amen. Not only that but they see the ox and they see that the image of Jesus Christ is what? The sacrifice that he was willing to give his life. The other thing that they see they see the face of a man. The Bible says he is the son of man. He was created like you and I. He was brought low into sin and and conceived in this what? In this world of sin in order to be like us to do what? To redeem us. And then the last one was as an eagle flying and the Bible teaches us talking about the majesty, um, uh, uh, excuse me Majesty of God and his majestic way and how he is wonderful and he is sovereign and he is above all things. All these angels are standing there. The first seal is opened up and the Bible says what happens. It says that that one first living creature, one of those angels standing there, called out and said, Come on or come. And the Bible says, and John said he looked and he saw that there was a white horse. And it says, and he that rode on the white horse, it says that he thought he had power, he had a crown, he had a bow with no arrows, he had all this. The Antichrist coming on the scene offering peace. We talked uh, about that next horse that came in, that next living creature, angel at the throne of God, said come. And when he said come and commanded that one to come out of there after Jesus opened the seal, the Bible says a red horse. You remember the red horse of war and how he came and destruction was made. And then last Sunday, Jesus opened the third seal, and that other living creature, that angel before the throne said, come. And when he called out to that other creature what happened out of the earth, the Bible says that there was a black horse that came, and that black horse was famine. That black horse ate this earth up and will eat this earth up with famine. He's got balances in his hands and you think that you're going to be okay. But then the Bible says that this next seal, this fourth seal was opened up. And if you look at that scripture, it says the fourth living creature, the fourth beast, it's actually a living creature. The fourth angel that was around the throne of God said, Ah, Amen? See, so this proves to you, church, that none of these people that are on these horses are Jesus Christ because there is no angel commanding Jesus what to do. Jesus is in full control and power, and he is unleashing and unloosening these seals. And as they are unloosened, it now defers power, Brother Andrew, to that angel that's at the throne of God to call forth the one that would come and give judgment. And now this pale horse comes out. If you look at this, this horse, fourth horse as the others, it's following right behind. It seems to be. It seems to be following behind. We're going to talk about that at the end. You would think, okay, it is white, it's red, then black, and then this pale horse. But they're all coming together. And I want to show you this, but the seals are being opened one at a time for God to show us judgment. But each one of these horses are bringing the next blow of judgment upon the earth. And when you look at this pale horse, and I tried to fade him out of the picture there uh, as I cropped it and did all my stuff. Tried to make him kind of uh, almost see-through. But um, this pale horse seems to be in a lesser power in his appearance. I mean, you get a white horse. Beautiful, ready, victory. You know, you have the red horse that Bible actually says, Keith, is fiery red. Talking about war and how he comes out. It's just almost as if he he jumps out at you. Then you have the black horse of famine that looks kind of just sickly and just run down but has that beautiful black mane and all this. But then this pale horse comes out and you look at it and you go, he don't have much to offer. He's not going to give much judgment. Let me tell you something. This one... Don't let his appearance fool you. This one's going to cause more destruction. This one is going to bring more with him because not only is it a pale horse and his rider whose name is death on it, but the Bible says hell is following this one. This one has a follower behind it, church. And I want you to look at the word there. If you would look at verse number 7, or excuse me, verse number... um, 8 in your Bible, and you don't have to do it on the wall there or anything, but verse number 8, I want you to look at it, and I want you to write this in your Bible, in your margin. It says, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, okay? and I want you to write this word, and and, uh, it's on the side. This is the original Greek word, right there by pale. Just write this, C-L-O-R-O-S, 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 okay? Write that on there. Actually, the pronunciation of that is chloros. And when you think about it, you say, well, see. what do you mean by that? This horse, talking about the pale horse, that Greek word that we have there, when we actually get it all transliterated into our English language today, you know what this word is. You actually probably have it in your cabinets. You probably spray your bathrooms down with it. When your kids get sick, you know, they, they're doing stuff, you put a little bit of this in there, and you've got to be careful because you've got to have a mask because this stuff is strong. But it's the same word that we get, Clorox. You know, we look at that word Clorox. This is Clorox, and it actually does mean the same meaning. And what it is, is that this pale horse, and as he looks kind of green and, you know, kind of dim and all that stuff, what it actually means is, is that this one has the power to come in and to withdraw the color out of lives of people and to draw the color out of the life of this world. It actually just takes the same meanings that if I was to take Clorox and spray it all on this black jacket today, what would happen to it? That Clorox, the chemical itself would go into the color and it would attack like a warrior and start bringing and breaking down and killing the color that is in this suit. And there's nothing that you could do about it. There's people that say you can put vinegar on it. There's people that say you can do all of these things. Really and truly, if you understand, when you get it all over you, you just might as well throw it away. Because it's ruined. I I was out here Clorox in a tent one time and was spraying all underneath and had my favorite Pac-Man shirt on. Yes, yes, yes. My favorite Pac-Man shirt. That thing looks like somebody shot holes all in it. Why? Because the Clorox that fell on that, it took the color out of it. It deteriorated the strength of the, the integrity of the material that that shirt was made out of. Church, this pale horse that comes in, God's telling us in that original language that it's like Clorox. It's Clorox that is actually life-draining. When, when your heart stops and your body is dead... Immediately, within every hour, your body temperature starts dropping 1.5 degrees with every hour. Your body starts breaking down in such a way that the carbon dioxide and the blood gases, all of these things, they start breaking down the blood. As life is leaving you, you understand within every second, every minute, and every hour... The blood goes out. The blood itself is just dying. It is just bursting. The red blood cells burst apart. All of this decomposition begins to happen within your body within seconds, within hours. mortis, other things like that set in. The body twitches. The body moves. The body does all these crazy things after death. Ray Stevens wrote a great song about it, right? And the older people know it. And Brandon... And uh, he does, setting up with the dead. That's why he didn't set up with the dead, because when they set up, you get out, right? Come on, you older people in here, say do something, right? (laughs) These younger ones don't know what we're talking about. All of this stuff begins to happen with the body. When all this stuff begins to happen, what happens? The color of the people begin to leave. You ever seen people that were close to death? The color begins to change. The color begins to leave. Listen, the Bible says that this horse that comes in, that he is like that, that he is a chloros. He is a pale horse, that he is going to be draining the life out of this world. The Bible says, and there is one coming behind that's scooping up all of those that are going to be drained of their life. And it talks about a word in the Greek that's Hades. That is hell. That is the realm of the wicked dead church these things are something that we need to pay attention to we need to study and know that it will happen listen it is the faded glory he is going to come in and you think well this horse is not really anything at all but he is going to fade everything life the beauty of life the glory of life death already has that black horse you know what he comes. i mean excuse me famine already is that black horse you know what already happens brother jimmy He's going to be bringing plagues, pestilence, diseases, all these things upon these people. And people are going to be holding people they love and friends that they know and last ones. And listen, death is going to be robbing us from people after people after people. And the color of life and the worth of living is going to be drained out of this world as though someone has taken that wonderful plug of life out and has pulled it out and everything is just draining out. That's why God gave us the illustration of this pale horse. Listen, he's giving him some kind of power. He gives him this fatal government power. He, he's, he's allowing him to do something. Church, look with me at verse number 8. He says, and he looked, and he had the pale horse and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with them, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. The Bible says that he has this power, this government to come in and to do what? To take to kill, to take the body. Let me say something to you this morning. There are a lot of people that maybe even in this room that you have what you would think uh, as the power to take someone's life, that you could reach over and take another's life uh, right there. And understanding this uh, in the church today, it's very uh, dark, gloomy, and selective because we wouldn't want that to happen. We wouldn't want to do that. We wouldn't want that to happen not only because it is sinful, but because life is precious. Do you know there's people that come to church that often think about how precious their life is? That they've actually allowed Satan to whisper in their ear that there is no color in their life, that there is no worth of their lives, that they actually don't amount to anything. There are people that come to the house of God that actually try their best to put a smile on. Listen, Satan's trying to convince them that life's not great and life is not good and that life is just this palish green yellow color and that all of the color has been drained out. That is the job of this pale horse. And the Bible says that he has a rider on him. And I want you to notice something different in the scriptures this morning that was different from the other horses. The first horse that came out, the Bible says the seal was opened up. The first seal was opened up and the first living creature said, come. And the Bible says, and when he came, he says, and I saw a a white horse and its rider. That was what he was talking about. And its rider on him and the rider on him. The second seal was opened up and that red horse came out and it says, and I beheld a red horse and its rider did this, 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 this. Then the Bible says the third seal was opened up and the third rider came out and the black horse and its rider did this, this, this. If you look back in scriptures, all the way on those other three horses, none of them ever had a rider who had a name. They all had a rider, but they were never named. But in chapter 6, verse number 8, the Bible actually says that this pale horse had a rider whose name, and look at it, it's capitalized, is Death. Have you seen the commercial on television where the lady's so worried because the grim reaper comes through the door and he hits her water heater? You know what I mean? And then attacks the air conditioner and all that stuff. That, that's almost the sense today. We understand that. We laugh at that. We snicker at those things. But That's almost the sense today is that we're, people are trying, and Satan's trying to get you used to seeing all these things, that you would go, oh, well, it's no big deal. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that death is going to be riding on this horse. And what it's talking about, Brother Brody, is that this person that's on this horse is named in such a way that it is actually a person, and it actually means that he is coming and he has power now. You know, the Bible says in the book of Matthew, look at this. It says in the book of Matthew, chapter number 10, verse 28, And do not fear the one who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now the Bible says that this rider is loosed from the hand of Jesus, that Brother Lee he has power over him, and he has all control over him, but he's allowing him to come through this earth on that pale horse, and his name is death, and death is coming and knocking. Listen, I tell you something. The Bible even talks about it in Exodus chapter number twelve, that they were told to go outside to kill a lamb of the first year, that it had to be without spot and without blemish, and they were to take the blood and to apply it to the doorpost of their home and to the lintel that was above, and that when the death angel the one, the death messenger was to come. Angel being anglios, meaning the messenger. When the one who is death will come. When he sees the blood, he will pass over. Let me tell you something. There are no believers, no believers of Jesus Christ, no church people that are going to be in this area here. Why? Because we've had the blood of Jesus Christ already applied to our lives and he has taken us out before the days of wrath actually come because this is the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. This is the time where God's chastising Israel and bringing them back but there are going to be all nations there that are lost left behind and they are going to listen the death angel will be riding through and he will have the power now to take life and you know what's happening if you think about it he is taking life after life and scooping them up and the one that rides behind listen the one that is following behind hell is falling behind did you know what the bible says about hell did you know that it talks about that um there are things that are not satisfied. The Bible talks about, my daddy used to tell me that I was never satisfied. Anybody's daddy ever tell you that before? You know, you're never satisfied. Listen, there's things in, uh, in the Bible it talks about that are never satisfied. You know what one of them is? It says, hell is never satisfied. Talking about the grave is never satisfied. It isn't. Listen, if you're interested in getting into business where you, it will never run out of people or run out of things or run out of business, mortuary business. Cemetery business digging grave preparing bodies. That's always going to happen Why? because death is always, always, always going on. But this horse is riding in and it's not your every, uh, everyday average rider that's coming in bringing death. The Bible says that he has such authority to do what? To afflict and touch a fourth of the earth. But let me give you this joy before we move on. Listen, Bible says, don't fear the one who can destroy a body, but fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. You know, there's a difference. There's a difference between someone who could destroy a body, okay? Listen, if we were really get down to it today, if Slade wanted to, maybe he, he would never do that, but wanted to take somebody's life. He, he could do that. In all, in all sense, he has such control, he has such authority where he can make that horrible, bad decision, but you know what? He will never be able to give anybody life. He can never give anybody life at all. Listen, Satan may come and try to destroy all the bodies, but only Jesus is the one that can make a life. He's the only one that can give you life. Amen? Listen, church, I know it's not the happy, happy thing. And I know you're looking around and you're counting tiles and you're looking at the stained glass windows and stuff like that. I hope and pray that you're not here looking at a pale horse, not looking at someone coming through, amen, and that you think that just going to church is the answer and that that's the only thing. No, you need, listen, you need to pay attention. You need to know these things. Listen, I go home throughout the week praying about this and seeking God and, listen, have trouble sleeping. Have trouble going, Lord, or well, this is just not one of those things because most churches today, what do we do? We, t- we give you three ways to be a better guy, three ways to be a better lady, three ways where you can dress a little better, and look a little better and how, you know, how to fit in your skinny jeans and all that good stuff. We give you all kinds of advice about, you know, fasting so that you can get all your mortgage paid off. We tell you all these things about how you can be a greater father and how you can be a greater mother and how you can, and, and if you listen to it, church, we've got a pattern of churches today that are telling you constantly how to be good, how to be good, how to be good, how to be good, how to be good. And then you come to this crazy, wild, fanatic church that tells you this, you can't be good enough. You've got to be born again. Then you come to this church and you hear about this guy talking about a pale horse and a black horse and all that. And you're like, oh my goodness, man, let's just go somewhere else and let's figure this out. Listen, these are the things that you need to know and you need to warn your family members that these things are coming. And we really need to try our best to pay attention. There's a final goal for these horsemen or these horses, these characteristics that are going to be coming. And I'm trying to go fast because I've got a lot of meat that is at the end of this message. But there's a final goal. Listen, this horse actually brings with it its final goal. You know that first horse that comes in on the white? He has a goal. You know what his goal is, Brother Charlie? He wants to kill you. He's going to offer you peace. But in the back of his mind, he wants to kill you. You know, that next horse that comes in, that red horse, you know what he wants to do? He's going to, he wants to kill you. The next one that comes in, famine, he wants to destroy you. He wants to break everything about you. He not only wants to kill you, but he is so wicked that he wants to destroy you. He wants you to see your family, your sons and your daughters and your wives, all of these. Things. He wants you to see them starving. He wants to see them malnourished so that what you'll surrender and worship him and receive the mark of what he is going to be offering in those days. But this horse... This pale horse comes in with death being its rider named, and now all of a sudden he's taking all of those and he's pulling them into hell. He's dragging them into hell. Church, don't you know that Satan has a future? Do you know that Satan has a future? Does anybody in here know what Satan's future is? The Bible says he's going to be bound up. He's going to be cast into the pit for a thousand years while we are having a time on this earth. But the Bible also says he'll be loosed and then he will what? He will be cast into the lake of fire. He has a future and his future is a, just a horrible, depressing. It's a demise. It's going to be the end of him. All of that stuff. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to take as many of you as he can with him. His whole mission is to try to bring everyone into that same thing. Let me say something to you. Hell is not your worst day on earth. Heaven is not your best day on earth. Hell is far worse than any of the worst days you could ever have on earth. As a matter of fact, if you accumulated all of your bad days on earth, hell would still be much, 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 much worse than that. We can't take away. Hell is not a state of mind as some people who call themselves Christian in a certain religion teach. Hell is not a state of mind that you're going to die and go into the grave and that you're going to lay there and think about hell the rest of your life. That's not what the Bible says you will not think about it. You will not be soul sleeping and you will not be coming back. You will not get to rehash this thing through as some uh, religions teach and you get a do-over and all this and you can't buy your way out. You can't pay your way out. You can't be good enough to come out. You can't do those things. And you go, oh, you're just depressing me, brother Steve. If you're not going there, it shouldn't bother you. If that's not your destination, then it should not concern you. It should not bother you, but it should burden you to the point where you go, I don't want my wife to go. I don't want my son to go. I don't want my brother or my sister to go. I don't want my mama or my daddy to go. That's where it should concern you there. It's not soul sleep. It is not an eternal state of mind where you go, oh, well, that's the worst it's going to be. You can't pretty up hell. It's going to be horrible. And you can't glorify heaven above actually what we know. The Bible says, eyes not seen and ears not heard the things that God's got prepared for those that love him. You can't even go, well, you know what? I think heaven's going to be like a super Walmart. No, it wouldn't. That would be the opposite. If it's like a super Walmart, I'm really, really going to be depressed. Right? Well, I think heaven's going to be like bass fishing on Lake Gunnersville all for eternity. No, it's going to be better than that. Yes. And I'm going to tell you something. A lot of stuff gets better than that. It's going to be much better. The Bible says that the grave is coming behind them because the final goal of all of them is to scoop all of this up. Listen, he's going to be coming in and attacking church. Listen, this whole world will be fatally flawed. This world is going to be. You say, Brother Steve, how do you know that? I've not been there. I've not gone there to this and I've come back to tell you. No. All we go by is prophecy. That's why I'm telling you on Wednesday night, instead of staying home or instead of other things, come to church. Because on Wednesday nights, what we're trying to show you is that if all of the prophecy of the Old Testament came true, and it came to be, and we see it, that it actually happened to the day, to the moment, to the very hour that it happened then we've got to know if that happened, then we must trust that this other will happen. It's not some kind of Nostradamus kind of prediction where we go, well, it may happen and it could this, and then we're wrong, or some kind of person telling you, like we've talked about, that it's a comet behind a spaceship, it's behind a comet and all this, and it never comes to be, or that Mary, the mother Mary, is actually going to appear out in the middle of the field somewhere, and then later on she appears on someone's tater chip. That, it, it, that's true. We laugh at it. That's true. There's people that believe that, that they've found the Mother Mary on a tater chip. But it's no different than some of you thinking that you saw the Alabama elephant in the clouds the other day. Come on, get off of it. People are crazy. We got to, all we've got is the Word of God to go by. And it's true enough that if all those other things happened all the way up, and he said this is going to happen, this world is going to be fatally wounded. Fatally flawed. Matthew 24, Jesus Christ says, it is going to be such a day that has never, ever been on this earth. And there have been some dark days on this earth. There have been days of the black plague where nearly 25 to 50 million people dead. Listen, there have been days where crusaders marched through streets slicing necks open. There are days where Islamic soldiers marched through streets and sliced throats open today. There are bad days here on this earth. But the Bible says this is going to be a day as no other time on the earth it is going to be fatally wounded. Why? Because I want you to look at verse number 8. The Bible says that the culmination of these riders will bring this world to its knees. Look at verse number 8, and I want you to see some words right here. It says, And I looked, and a pale horse, behold, a pale horse, and his name uh, uh, that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. But look at this. And power was given unto them. And power was given unto them. all together. This is a culmination of riders that are coming in. Now, I know some people today, I said, preaching on the pale horse, they said, Clint Eastwood, no, 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 he's far, far worse than Dirty Harry or Clint Eastwood could ever be. And they are not separately coming in. They're coming into this seven-year period, and they're all riding, Clay, side by side. They, power was given unto them to do what the Bible says, to take a fourth of the earth. Listen to these statistics. Listen, in 1800s it was estimated that 1 billion people were on the earth. 130 years later in 1930, 2 billion people were estimated to be on the face of the earth. 30 years later 1963 billion. 14 years later 1974, 4 billion. 13 years later 1987, 5 billion people. McDonald's back then said they served all of them. 12 years later, 1999, 6 billion people. 12 years later, in 2011, it is estimated that 7 billion people are on the face of this earth. If that's true, first of all, if Christ comes back, listen, all of these things and these horses begin to go and they kill, not counting the millions of church people, the millions of the body and bride of Christ that's raptured out of here, not counting that number, but if that's true, then these horses, these four seals that come in, four horses of the four seals that come in, they're going to have the power to take 1.75 billion lives. Listen, there were times during the Black Plague where they buried them that day and sprinkled dirt lightly on them because the next day more they knew were going to die and they layered them in. you know what the image is? They actually, in history books that I've read, they put it like this. They said, Brother Craig, that they layered them in like lasagna's. Understanding that Sicily was hit and all of this stuff, understanding their terminology, they were saying that they put bodies in rows and layered a little bit of dirt. Bodies and then dirt and bodies and dirt. They didn't know what to do. Did you know that when the tsunami comes in and it destroyed two hundred thousand people, that they would burn the bodies? Why? Because of the diseases and all of those things that would happen. Think about in this world today one point seven five billion deaths. That's horrible. This world is going to be so fatally wounded. And you say, Brother Steve, could that actually happen? Listen, I ask you today, did all of this other stuff happen? Did all of this other stuff happen? If it did, then everything that he says is going to happen must happen. That's the whole point of learning your Bible because if he said this will happen, then these things that are going to come to pass because what did he start out with in the book of Revelation? We're going to close in a minute. What did he start out with? He said, we're going to show you the things which were, the things which are, and the things which will be here to come or here to pass. He's told us about things that were what? He is and was and is to come. He's told us about things that are. What is the things that are? We are in church right now. We are a part of the day of the church. We are having church right now. Where I is. We are the church today, but the church age will end someday. There will be a day, sir and ma'am, where you won't walk into a house of God and to a church and sit down and come in five minutes late, 10 minutes late, 30 minutes late, and expect someone to walk up in the pulpit and that be a man of God. There'll be a day, Brother Brian, where there won't be any of the men of God to preach God's word here. There'll be a day where you won't be able to walk into a church and you go, Pray for us, Brother Steve. Pray for me. Listen, I'll be gone. Amen. I'll be gone. Some of these other preachers may be here, but I'll be gone. I want you to understand these four. This world will be fatally flawed and wounded, but I want you to understand these four. And this is kind of where we're going to hang out. Just, just please just give me a moment. Like I said, you won't, you won't have service tonight? We did that on purpose. I just want you to understand that these four, when they come in, they're going to be offering a false peace. They're going to be offering a, a war with a great sword, the famine with great hunger, and death with death. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, "...and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill what with sword? Going to kill with hunger." And look at this. This is amazing to me. He says not only is he going to kill with sword and kill with famine or hunger, but he's even going to kill with death. Now, wait a minute. How can you have death with death? How can you have death with death? When that body is there and it's decayed and it is deteriorating and it has diseases and it has pestilence and the animals and the beasts of the earth carry those pestilence to the next person and to the next person and to the next person. That's how death dies with death. Because from the death of that body, death will actually happen in the family. Church is going to be a horrible time. Ezekiel chapter number 12, chapter number 14, verse number 21 says, For thus saith the Lord God, How much more. When I send my four sword judgments upon the earth or upon Jerusalem, it says the sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. The Bible says that he's going to be sending these things in. You need to understand these four are going to bring destruction and decay and disease and and, and uh, death. All of these things are going to come. And then the beasts of the earth will actually be feasting on all of this. It's going to be a bad day. And you say, well, Brother Steve, well, what should I do? You, should, you need to give your life to Jesus. Amen. Brother Steve, how would that secure? You know, there used to be a time, I shared with somebody this week, there used to be a time where the church used to say, or the people used to come to church and say, what must I do to be saved? The bad thing is that today is now everyone in the church is coming saying, what can I continue to do and get by with and still be saved? But God wants you to be saved. What must I do to be saved? The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with your heart you believe unto righteousness, and with your mouth confession is made unto what? Salvation, believing that Jesus is Lord. Brother Steve, it just can't be that simple. It just can't be that easy. Brother Steve, there's something I must do. There's something that I've got to do. Well, look, a rich young ruler said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know all the things. You know the law and you do all these things. See, I've kept them from my youth up. And what did Jesus tell him? He said, go and sell what you have and come and follow me. It wasn't about that he wanted him to get rid of everything that he had, but what Jesus was doing was getting to the heart of that young man and he was saying, you're not willing to follow me because you're not willing to surrender to me. See, the thing is, is that God's not wanting all of your possessions or you to throw everything away and leave all that. What he's saying is, is if you're not willing to leave everything behind and follow him in what? In saying that he is Lord and that you are now his disciple and you're willing to be trained to do what? To look like him, talk like him, and be a representative, an ambassador of his. That's not true salvation. Listen to me, if you say today that you're saved, but you can go out and you can commit all of these other sins that God says is wrong and contrary in the Bible, I have to tell you today, with all of the truth of the Word of God, are you really saved? I wouldn't believe that you're saved. See, salvation is a free gift, absolutely free. Listen, it is by the grace of God that you are saved, but it's faith that actually puts that salvation of God into effect and into working. It is just as simple as saying, Lord, I need you to save me. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent of them. Repent means that you're going to turn away from them. It doesn't mean that you're going to just start bargaining with God and go, God, I'll give up this and give up this, but I cannot give up this. This is something I have to hold on. That's not what God wants to do. That's what the rich young ruler tried to do, and he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. What God wants you to do is say, Lord, according to the Scriptures and according to what I've read and what I've heard today, you are what I need, and you are what I've been missing, and I need to be saved. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner and in me is no good. And that I'll not be able to make it through all of these things that the pastor's been preaching about. I'll not be able to endure and not eat, not feed my family. I'll not be able to do that. I need to be saved. And it's that easy. So simple that even as a 17 and a half, 18 year old boy, that's what I had to do. I said, Lord, that's it. I surrender. I give everything to you church, I want you to think about this before we close. Where did these four horse come from? You know, I've told you many times, pay attention, I've told you many times that Satan cannot create anything. All he can do is copycat and counterfeit and mimic what God's already done. Right. And here in this picture is Satan's huge four strong, strong forces, whatever you want to call them. They're the Green Berets, they're the Delta Force, they're whatever. They're the ones that come in and Satan is using all of this stuff. This is the epitome. Every one of these, think about it for a moment. That white horse is the epitome of Satan. He's a liar. Yep. He says he's giving peace. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. The Bible says he's a father of lies. Yep. Amen. That black horse, uh, excuse me, that red fiery horse that comes in is actually who he really is inside. He wants nothing but war. He is a roaring lion that wants to chew you up. He wants to devour you. He wants you dead. And he is so passionate about it. It's his characteristic. That black horse that comes in, you know what he wants to do? He wants to starve you. He wants to starve you from anything that you could ever have of God. That last horse, the pale horse today, he is wanting to destroy you with death and wants you to be swallowed up by the grave. This is the actual epitome of who the Antichrist or who Satan is. But I want you to look at this part. This is where Satan gets it from. Satan can't create anything on his own. He can't make up his own story. He's the worst person to ever even think about that. He was a created angel that was created to do what? To emanate light unto the throne of God. They look at him as if he was a seraphim, that he is a fire, a minister of fire unto the Lord. He is an angel light. The Bible even tells us that he has the power to have his ministers or his demons to actually transform themselves into ministers of light to where you would be deceived. Amen? Listen, the, where he got these four, four horse from is the same way that our Lord has those four living angels, those four living creatures that do what? They point everything to Jesus. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the sacrifice of the calf, the ox. He is the what? Son of God who gave himself for us, the son of man who laid his life down. He is the one that is majestic, that actually tells us that when we are weak and we are about to faint, brother Jimmy, that he will, we will mount up with wings as eagles, amen, and soar over these things. Satan is a liar and he's a copycat and he's a mimic and he already knows that there are four angels before the throne of God that reflect the image of God. And he says, Brit, he says, Brit, I want that. I'm going to steal that from God and now I have all these four horses that are going to come in. Church, you say, well, I wonder where they got the idea. I want you to look, look at this picture. The Brandenburg Gate. I don't know if it's going to come up. Yeah, it's coming up slowly. The Brandenburg Gate Berlin. Maybe some of you remember this. Maybe maybe you've seen this before. But this is called a, a quadriga. Hey, and uh, you remember me talking in the last few weeks about what was a, a denarius? You remember me talking about that that you would get, if you were going to work all day, Brother Keith, that you would get paid a, a denarius, a, a day's wage or a denarii, that it was a day's wage, okay? And that it wasn't enough, that back, back in their days it was enough to buy uh, uh, enough for your family, for food and for wheat and for barley, right? And we talked about mixing them together to make it last longer like crackers in the meatloaf. But then in the tribulation time, it says you'll only be able to buy one portion of wheat and three portions of barley, which would only make a loaf of bread only for you. And so you'll be stuck as a provider of your home trying to see if you're going to feed your family or if you're just going to feed yourself. You know, on the denarii, especially on Augustus, that actually on the back of it, it has this quadriga, it has this chariot that has these four horses that are coming in. In chariot races, they would hook up together. You remember the days when we used to go to school? Craig remembers this. We, we had to watch it every year. Ben, her. Remember? you used to love it. it was nap time it was great. I hated that stuff when I was in school. You remember being heard coming around there, whipping those horses, and those horses, they'd have them tied up, two together, and they'd be running around there. But if you remember, and you'll look, that whenever the conqueror or the victor would come in, they would have this chariot that had four horses that were all decked out. They were beautiful. They had ornaments. They had all of this stuff, and they would be coming in to Rome or coming in as a victor. Actually, this one over the Brandenburg, uh, Brandenburg Gate is actually one of, uh, they call her the goddess of Rome that is Victoria, that means victory, and there she is over this huge gate. Now some of you say, we're to see what's significant about this gate. Well, you'd understand if you were in the 80s, you remember in 1987, President Ronald Reagan stood out in front of there and gave his famous speech to Gorbachev. What was it? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, Right? Right to the side of that or the right portion of that is where the first portion of the Berlin Wall came down, right beside this gate. If you were to walk up and you look right over the center, looking up in the middle, here's this quadriga. They are everywhere. They are not just in Berlin, they are in Spain, they are in Spartanburg, they are in Detroit, they are in New York City, in Brooklyn, New York City. Everywhere the image of this is coming into play. There are people like uh, this one that rides on it, Victoria. Most of them are Roman kings or emperors that were showing themselves as conquerors. Let me say something to you, Don't, don't lose me. What's happening is, is that because we've opened these seals one at a time, you think that, okay, this one's coming, and this one's coming, and this one's coming, and this one's coming, but the power, the Bible says in verse 8, the power was given unto them, to them. Church, they're hooked together. And then the same symbol of that quadriga that comes in, Satan is at the helm. Satan is at the reins. Satan is in control, and he's going to come into this earth and present himself, brother Adam, as though he has done something. He's going to come in and proclaim he's got power. And if you'll trust in him, he'll help you. He's going to proclaim through that white horse that he's a great conqueror, but he has never conquered anything, but he has the image of a conqueror. He's going to come in with that red horse and say that he's going to take care and cause war with all kinds of nations. And he's going to bring all those nations that are coming against the people during the tribulation. He's going to destroy them and he's going to offer all this great stuff to people. He's going to come in with a set of balances and he's going to be having control over government. He's going to have control over your medical, your food and all of your monies. Everything. The Bible says every bit of that. Then he's also got that other horse that's riding in with a rider also on it by the name of death. And Satan is at the helm. Church, this world is going to be touched. It's going to be affected by a satanic, satanic rule and satanic kingdom that's going to be presenting itself here. Listen, it's not about the horses as much as it is about what they what, what they characterize, what they show. Someday this will happen. So let me ask you something. Are you going to be here? There's some people in here now that are thinking, I'm not sure. Brother Steve, Why? what would be 100% to know that I wouldn't be here? Did you know that false religions, such as Islam, tell you that you must do something and that your only 100% way is to actually destroy an infidel, to kill others, and that you would actually be granted? Because if not, you've got to be 51% good and 49% bad. There are people even that call themselves Christians that teach that same kind of heresy, that you've got to be 51% good and 49% bad. But the Word of God tells us that you are 100% bad. It says that the best you could muster up is as filthy rags. See, the Word of God says this. God's not willing that you take your life in order to sustain yourself an eternal place in heaven. No, the Bible says this. That he wasn't willing that Isaac would give his son, or excuse me, Abraham would give his son Isaac. He wasn't willing that Jacob would kill himself and do that. He wasn't willing that anyone else would do that. No, but the Bible says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever listen to this believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever believeth in Him, brother Steve, come on, brother Brand, brother Steve, believing." believing enough <clears throat> the belief that is enough is this is that it must change you yeah. yes. it must be a belief of not some kind of fancy emotional feeling where you feel butterflies in your gut and you go Oh, I'm going to be moved by this great message and an emotional feeling and all that that's not what he's talking about. it's a decision of the heart and mind that goes I believe I believe in such a way that I'm willing to turn away from my sin and repent. And I'm willing to follow the Lord and I'm willing to seek Him and to read His Word and to serve Him the rest of the days of my life on earth all the way into eternity. That's different. See, you can't do it like this, Slade. You can't say, I believe and then sleep during church all the time. and I believe and then you never share the Word of God or your testimony with anybody. Well, I believe... On, but, but I don't. I don't want to go to church. I mean, you don't got to go to church to be saved. I got saved at home, so you don't got to go to church to be saved. I, I believe, but I, mean, I don't care about being in the youth group. Come Come yeah. Amen. Amen, bro. I, I believe, but you know, I'm not, I'm not. I don't have to read my Bible. I got to read my Bible. Now, see, the difference is, as a person that says that they believe, they're changed. Yeah. Yeah. They're changed. A person that believes takes all of the strongholds of sin that they continued to walk in while they were lost, and they go, Lord, I confess them to you. I give you my life. Remember, there used to be days where, David, where revivals would happen. I used to watch people bring stuff and put it on the altar. Man, I watched teenagers put all kinds of music that they were listening to, like dancing. Satanic music stuff. I watched them lay it all out there and stuff. And I did. I also watched people a week later go back and buy the same stupid things. I know that. But I watched people that were truly... Rep- I- I've seen people in revival meetings before where they got saved. I watched them leave the church and go home and get their daddy and bring them back. That, at that time, they left the service and went and got their daddy and brought them back. I've been in a revival meeting before in Kimberly, Alabama. Where I was singing at a piano over here, and I was singing a song I wrote called Just For You, that Jesus died just for you, gave his life just for you. And a nine-year-old boy was down in front. Now, this wasn't the keyboard piano where they can turn it up and turn it down. This was one of those (coughs) upright pianos where it was loud everywhere you listened at. And I'll never forget, Sister Martha, that nine-year-old boy was praying so loud for his daddy to be saved that I could hear him over myself singing and playing the piano. He came down every service, every night, and cried and prayed for his daddy to be saved. His daddy came in on Thursday night, crying his eyes out, and got saved. And I said, what happened? I said, your boy's been down here praying for you all week. What happened? He said, Brother Steve, he didn't just do it there. He said, but when he went home, I heard him in the bedroom calling my name out to God that he, that he would be saved yeah, what happened what has happened what's happened today is we've got too called up with messages of do good yeah. just come just do all this and be better and we really need to understand that we were saved from hell <laughs> you that are saved we were saved from the dark pit of hell the stain of sin is gone amen yeah. Amen. And Clorox can't deplete it. That we've been born again. Where are those church people at? Where are those kids praying for their parents? Where are those parents praying for their kids? Husbands and wives, where are we at today? Now, we need more than just do good. We need to understand that if we reject God... What he's holding back is just like they used to see in the days of Rome when Commodus came in. Caligula and all these other rulers came in. When they marched in and they had their four horses and the one cart, they came in to cause trouble. They came in because they were going to be in charge now. This world is going to face a flawed time. And we need to be more more concerned about it, church. Would you pray with me today, if you would, stand. Those who are gonna be baptized, you can go ahead and slip out. If you would, for a moment, just bow your head. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, I'm just asking you just to get along with your own self, with your own with your own thoughts, with your own mind right now, with the Lord, I'm just asking if you would, just just to be real, real reverent with yourself, there's people that are coming to the altar, and we thank God for that. But if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you say, I just don't know if I'm saved. I'm asking you. I'm pleading with you. Please come. All I know to do is say, please come. There are pastors. There are ladies. There are people here that would love to help you and would pray with you. They're not going to hold you down. They're not going to ask you what you did. They're just going to ask you, are you willing to give Jesus Christ your life, repent of your sins? That's it. That's all they'll do. I just want to pray this morning.